defends from dummy half. It's with the halfback, Williams. Williams goes himself, comes out the other side, gets it to Croker, bounces away from a would-be from De Goyce, puts a kick out wide, looking for Shander Earl, and Earl is in again. Oh, stop it, it's starting to hurt. Rugby league. Rugby league. Hello and welcome to episode 36 of the SC Playbook podcast. I am your host, Tim Williams. The podcast is presented by Brett Oaten Solicitors. Guys, girls, the 2020 NRL Supercoach season has been done and won. Uh, the massive climax, crazy weekend. Cody Walker breaking the Supercoach record with 203 points, knocking Teddy off the perch set this year. Joining me to talk about the final round is, as usual, the Supercoach Spy. Spy, how are you? Good, mate. Yep. Uh, looking forward to finals footy this weekend. Uh, no Supercoach implications, obviously, which is probably bloody fantastic for you. You'll be able to put the feet up and enjoy it a bit more. But, um, yeah, I'm always sad that Supercoach is finished for the year. But, you know, we've got some other stuff coming up, racing, big bash. And before we know it, footy will be back. So all good, all good. Mate, that's it. With with finals footy on this week and not having to worry about, you know, uh, all the other things that go with the website and the podcast and getting things together and not having to worry about riding my players home in the final weekend and stressing out, gee, it's going to be nice just to put the foot up and put the feet up and have a casual beer and watch it without stressing out. Also joining me is the 2019, he's now not the defending Supergates champion, Desi Creek. Des? Yeah, already it has been. No, I'm, I'm much I'm much the same as you boys. I'm keen to I'm keen to watch this uh, Panthers Roosters game without worrying about Supercoach at all. Should be a ripping game on Friday, but yeah, I'm I'm glad the season's over because it obviously one of my worst ever. But <laughs> that's 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 things. That's how it pans out sometimes. That's Supercoach, mate. The good thing is we can start planning for 2021 already. If you're not already playing Fantasy Supercoach, Horse Racing Super, uh, sorry, Fantasy EPL, Horse Racing Supercoach into Big Bash Supercoach. There's so much to keep us occupied. So I'm not too much time. We'll have to do study. Um, guys, on this show, we're going to have a little talk about the the weekend that was, the how it panned out. How um, there was a bit of interest in how my side of things went for the weekend. So we'll talk about that. Uh, then we'll jump into a season recap and talk about our best and worst trades, what we learnt from the season going into the future. Uh, we'll wrap it up with a few awards for the cheapies in mid-ranges and that, that sort of thing of the year. Um, we'll just have an informal chat about all that. As mentioned earlier, the SC Playbook podcast is now sponsored by Brett Oaten Solicitors, a law firm specialising in the entertainment, media and tech industries. If you need intellectual property contract or other business advice, visit brettoten.com.au. You can contact Brett anytime to find out more about his firm services or if you just wanted to chat some Supercoach, he's good for that too. Lads, let's jump into the final weekend of Supercoach. It was chaotic. I was a nervous wreck through most of the weekend, particularly on Monday, waiting for those final scores to come out. Desi, mate, what'd you make of it? Yeah, it was a crazy one. Obviously, it didn't start too well for you. With uh, Katoni Stags there, I was I was pretty disappointed for you at that point. But uh, I was actually talking to the guy who was leading um, Hamish, the the coach of Green Brickwall. He was in first place leading into the final round, and we found out that he actually brought in Stags to cover you, Timmy. So that, that softened yeah. the blow a bit for you. Um, but yeah, I actually want to give a big shout out to Hamish. Um, he was the team leading into the final round. He played exceptionally well. He got really unlucky over those last two rounds. Um, yeah, he traded in both Turbo and Stags and then got shafted, obviously, by a Cody Walker double century. Um, yeah, in a perfect world, he probably wins Supercoach. Um, Mate, the poor bugger. He, I think he had a 210-point lead going into the final two rounds. I know the second last round, we were obviously monitoring, monitoring him pretty closely. He, he played Nofaluma over Lomax, which was about a hundred point swing in that second last round. And then, as you said, he brought in Stags um, this week to match me having been coming second at the time. And um, you didn't quite agree with it. I completely agreed with it. And if I had that little buffer, I'd have been doing the same because going into the weekend, um, I I thought Stags, as I think I was the only one in the top ten who owned him. I thought he was my secret weapon um, against the Cowboys in serious form. And then when he went down after 10 minutes, it was just like madness, Des. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I thought he might have gone Brimson or someone like Cherry Evans. But, yeah, Staggs, was, it was interesting to me because I, I really didn't think anyone would cover you with Staggs. But, yeah, it was a bold move. Obviously, didn't pay off. Just really bad luck on his behalf. 
But yeah, then moving on to that Knights game, it was just another disaster for you, Timmy, wasn't it? Um, like oh. Ponga, Ponga and Saifidi both blanking. I mean, what happened to Dan Saifidi's minutes in that game? I'll never know. And Ponga was just disinterested the whole game. And then to make matters worse, Brian Kelly was just, <laughs> they just didn't defend him at all and they allowed him to go 120, which also uh, really hurt your chances against the eventual winner. Um, it was yeah. crazy that game. It was nuts. I was sort of... I was sitting there toying up all afternoon whether I'd VC'd Payne Haas who got that try after. I didn't have a free shot at VC loophole. I had 18 playing men. Jackson Paulo was my 18th and I was always going to not play him. So I had a crack at the VC but not a great one. When Payne Haas scored that try, I thought, beauty, he'll play nearly 80 minutes here, banging at 90 to 100. That should be my loop, pretty safe and secure. Um, That didn't eventuate. Into that Friday night game, I was tossing up between Teddy or Ponga and it, it's funny how you look into teams and read into things. Um, and the th- the deciding factor for me was that first place didn't have Teddy, who it turned out he had two trades and actually brought Teddy in again to match me and obviously it was a safe play. And he captained him. Um, so I went Teddy thinking he didn't have him and it, it ended up being yeah, irrelevant in that sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Ponga was just totally disinterested in that game. It was the same as last year. The final round last year, I think Ponga only got about 14 or 15 points. Um, yeah, he, he just seems to not want to play these last games. And I, I don't blame him. He's, he's resting his body coming into a big do-or-die final um, against the Bunnies, I, I think it's their plan, think, isn't it? I think, boys, as well, for Ponga, it's a real credit to the Titans' defence. What Ponga does really well is beat that first defender because he's either too quick for him or too slippery, and then his ball playing is outstanding after that. But every time he ran the footy, they just hit and stick, and he couldn't get past that first defender. Then they control the majority of possession. The Titans, I tell you what, they're playing some really nice footy, so they're a huge watch for next year. Yeah, how badly did those Titans want to, want a, an extra five rounds in the comp? They were coming home with a wet sail, weren't they? Hugely. Yeah, yeah. Where from there, Desi? Into into the the, the next game. <laughs> I yeah. mean, the next game that it was a uh, it was Cody Walker and Cam Murray running the show, wasn't it? Um, they came to the rescue. They killed it, and I, I really, I, 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 just, I was watching that game in absolute disbelief. Because I just knew straight away Cody Walker was going to break the record. Um, and I remember you called me after the game, like around 2 a.m. on Friday night after what sounded like a big night out with the boys. After about 57 Schoonavassa shakes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you sounded pretty pretty relieved after a bad uh, Thursday. But you came back strong. Um, yeah, you were back in the hunt for the title at that point. Um, Gee, it looked mate, good. Friday at 2 a.m. it looked pretty damn good, but there's always so much to play out, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. it was. Um, I mean, it's a lesson in Supercoach that I've sort of had for a while. But you ride the highs and the lows, but don't be too upset when something goes wrong because the next night something like that can happen with Cody Walker. And to be hundred percent honest with you, you talk about having good luck and bad luck and whatnot. If I had twenty playing members of my squad, I probably would have sat Cody Walker in that game against the Roosters um, on a wet night. The Roosters peaking for finals. I thought he's going low for sure. Um, he's probably my favourite player in the NRL. Cody Walker. He's in sublime form, but I didn't. I didn't think he'd get over fifty. To be honest, Des. Boys, yeah, I was chatting. I'm oh, sorry, Desi. I was just saying. Yeah, I was chatting fight. to Tim on. Uh, I was chatting to Tim on Friday, Avo, and we sort of said. Obviously, you need to play Cody because um, lack of options this week, low numbers, and we sort of had a look at Murray and Cody, two of his big points of difference, and we said if they could score 120 between them, you'd take it, and they'd get 140, you'd be absolutely laughing, and they ended up combining for 310 or something like that. <laughs> Madness. Oh, It was just every time I looked down at the bottom of my schooner glass, I looked back up and Cody was setting up a try, and... Every second time, Cam Murray had a hand in the play. It was it was madness, Desi. Yeah, could you imagine what the rest of the top ten were feeling though, watching that game? Oh, oh it would have been gut wrenching. One thing it did do for the the rest of the top ten, we sort of had some idea of what everyone was doing. I don't think anyone was seriously going to bring in Cody against the Chooks. So for my calculations, it basically eliminated the rest of the field apart from the two or three sides that did have Cody. That's how big a night it was. So that was certainly something for the rest of the weekend to look forward to. Yeah, it was. Where'd you go from there, Des? Yeah, well then it pretty much we, we narrowed it down to a couple of players for you, a couple of crucial ones, and they were Nathan Brown, Tavonga, 
Tohu and, of course, Zach Lomax. That was pretty much the information we had available about the other teams who were still in the hunt. And, yeah, I mean, Lomax was obviously the final dagger that sort of prevented the Stallions from taking it out. Bloody Zach Lomax. And he he didn't even get picked for Origin. How about that? Yeah, and the brutal thing about it was... We, we sort of didn't bring into calculations that we knew the, the teams coming 10th and 12th, 12th, I think, had Lomax, but we didn't sort of suspect that they would have captained him. So that really was the final dagger, wasn't it? Yeah, it was an impressive play to captain him. And, like, in the end, if he, if he didn't score that try, you probably you probably would have taken it out, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> but well, after there's a lot, of, that a lot of ifs and buts over the weekend, but that is correct, Desi. <laughs> um, and we did skip, though, just a quick shout-out to Jerome Luai on Sadiavo. Tim had him and not many others did, maybe third, and he knocked out 110, and, geez, he played well. So oh, what an absolute rollercoaster weekend, I tell you what. Oh, it was, and uh, and just it was just you, you looked. We looked at every little intricacy of the top sort of ten to twenty teams, um, and what could go wrong, could go right, and whatnot. And one of them was yeah, it was obviously Jerome Luai. But the big thing about that was that lots of people were obviously going to captain Nathan Cleary, and every time Luai did something good, uh, it took an opportunity away from Nathan Cleary. So it was a, it was a bit of a double bunger there. So it was, and, um, and Cleary missed three or four goals, so it just just went absolutely beautifully for you. But um, we're probably up to Monday. Tell us a little bit about Monday, Monday Timo. Monday, oh, I'm, I'm not a, an overly nervous person. I understand with Supercoach and it's a belief I've always had. There's no point getting too worked up about things that happen on field because it's completely out of your control. You can control your trades. Um, you can control your captaincy options, who you sit and start and whatnot. The beauty of this weekend was that I had 18 players, so I didn't have any real sit or start options because I had Paul uh, Jackson Paulo there. Um, the captains were, were relatively obvious to me. So, um, but on Monday, I was just I was a nervous wreck waiting to find that, out that mainly because we knew that I was in the hunt and pretty close to taking it out. Um, I knew that a few things could have happened, and, and by no means did I think I was home at all. Um, despite despite Desi's best efforts to tell me that I was home, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I went down to the beach and I was just walking, doing laps of the beach by myself because I was too nervous. My few my mates were there, and I'd sort of I'd been on the beers from from Thursday till Sunday, so I thought, oh, I don't need a couple more of them in me. So yeah, it was it was a tough day, spy. Tell you what, you should have uh, probably kept going with the schooners, I tell you, but um, probably good for the body in the long run. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the body the body copped its fair share of stress. <laughs> Anything yeah, else to add there, lads? The result was delayed for, I mean, what was it, around 3, 3.34 p.m. until they updated it because I remember my year, it was right on 1 p.m. They uh, they put they got the results in, so the Sangster and Co. made you uh, wait an extra two oh. hours for the result. The funny thing that happened, it's just like this time last year, I was the one making the call to you, Desi, working at the Telegraph. And yeah, obviously right. I'm, I'm good mates with Tommy Sangster. Don't worry, I didn't get any unicorns. Don't stress out people. I don't have any pulling <laughs> pulling power as an ex-employee. And you needed um, some, so you definitely I, I needed did. some, I know. But, and I was like, you know what, I, I won't harass Tommy. I like, you know, if I get the call, I get the call, but it's all fine. I'll, I'll let him be, go about his business. He, he has a busy day. It got to about 3.30. I sent him a message and said, Tommy, put my out of my freaking pain. Like, did I win it or not? <laughs> anyway, he messaged, He gave me a call just after that and said, mate, you're second. I'm like, I don't care. I'm like, at least I know now. So, uh, lads, crazy weekend. And it, it was good fun, but, uh, gee, it was hard work at the same time. Great effort, though, mate. It, uh, it took an absolute extraordinary performance to get over the top of you. So, bloody good yeah. effort. And fair credit Cheers, to mate. Mr. Joe out there. Well done. Yeah, yeah, the overall champion. Good luck to him. Um, yeah, and I had, I had my brains trust uh, of, of the spy, Wilson and Desi, helping me out all weekend, so that helped out a hell of a lot. Um, guys, we'll move on. If you uh, if you did enjoy the SC Playbook podcast this year, this is our final episode, by the way, um, and enjoyed the content on the website and whatnot, we do have a donations tab in the article holding the, the, the podcast this week. So if you're interested in donating, you can do so there. Otherwise, we hope you've enjoyed it all anyway. Lads, let's jump into our season recap. We're going to look at a few things here, um, weigh up where things went right, where things went wrong. Uh, and Spy, I'll start with you, mate. It was a funny year for Supercoach. You know, the big thing was that there was no origin mid-season, which meant there was no buys, no buy planning, completely changed the structure of the game. Mate, what was your take on the season? 
Mate, it was um, it was a really interesting one. I tell you what, the buyers from a personal sense, lack of buyers hurt me because I tend to look reasonably heavy at those and come in hot for the buyers and get a heap of players in, and then come home after that as strong as I can. But I can normally make up a fair bit of ground. So without the buyers. Um, that obviously made things difficult with a slow start. Me personally, I just had a look before. I came out of the blocks in like 55,000th in round one. I had an absolute shocker. And from that point on, I'll tell you what, even round two was only so-so. With those, with that opening start, it just made it so hard to claw back. I spent the majority of the season just basically chasing what I could. Um, and with all the injuries that happened this year, that slow start was just the absolute dagger. Uh, for me personally, whereas if you got that faster start, I thought it was really beneficial this year. Um, so somewhat less of a roller coaster. You could hold onto that lead a little bit better. Uh, but I found just in a sense of the structure of the season that you really had to start well to be a chance. Um, <clears throat> we can probably bump into this a bit later, but I had a look at what went wrong. I can tell you my opening weekend. I had a crack at Damien Cook over Appy Corisale. And I've no regrets in doing that because it made sense at the time. Appy came out and scored about 96 or something against the Chooks. And Damien Cook against the Sharks scored like 40. So that just straight away, I was like, oh, no, this is not happening. And I think he had a few tries just dropped over the line by Braden Burns, who I also started with. So from the get-go, it wasn't going too well. And then just having a look at my season personally, the biggest issue outside of a couple of trades, which we'll get to in a minute, the worst trades of the season, I couldn't nail down the big fullback scores. So I went back and had a look before. I had I wanted to get Tommy Tommy Turbo in ASAP, right? But I didn't but I didn't want to get him or Teddy over in over in the first two weeks because I had tough matchups. That actually worked out really well. They didn't score too well in the opening two weeks. Then it got to round three and I thought, I need to get Tommy in, but his break even's about hundred and sixty. We know money's important. I'm like, they're playing the dogs. Look, I'll go the smart play and I won't get him. He punched out 150 that Sunday against the Dogs and he would have been my captain. So I missed out on that, got him a week later. Then Ponga got suspended for – it was only one week, but given it was early in the year, I was like, you know what, let's get in someone, let's make some cash. I moved him to drink water for a little bit of cash. who went okay but not great. And then the reason I dropped Ponga is because he came back against Canberra. So I'm like, premiership, almost premiership winning defence. We should be right here. I can get Ponga back a little bit cheaper in a few weeks. He punched out 167 against Canberra at Campbelltown. Unbelievable. G played well that day, combining yeah. with Bradman Best. So I missed out on Tommy's, then I missed out on Ponga's, and then the week I got in Tommy Trevojevic after his 150 was the week that Teddy got 199. And I, I spoke to you all week about it, and fair play to you on the year. You were right about everything this year. You just said, Teddy's the man. I'm sure Teddy's the man, but I really like Tommy. Always have. He came out and got 70 points as my captain, or 140. And Teddy came out and basically, well, he broke the supercoach record at the time. So I can literally put my whole season down to missing those three fullbacks, all of which I owned, all at the wrong times. It probably adds up to about 500 points and all the price rises. So that's pretty much it for me, just in a nutshell, of where it all really went wrong for me in 2020. Yeah, we thought uh, we thought that a lot of the year would deter- would be, uh, and particularly the early stages, would come down to there was such a, a plethora of strong fullback options, and with your Pappenhaus and some Val Holmes, and there was a lot in the mix. And as it ended up, it, it probably paved the way whether you had a good year or not. Um, Desi, what did you make of the season, mate? Yeah, I'd like to say my total defense went well, boys, but yeah, <laughs> it was basically non-existent from the very beginning. Um, uh, yeah, I was ranked about twenty thousand thousand from from the start all the way to the finish. Like I, my rank just didn't vary at all. It stayed steady the entire time. I just couldn't make up any ground, no matter who I brought in, pods or antipods. Um, but, yeah, I was pretty much the same as the spy. I took a few risks at the start of the year that didn't pay off, one of which was starting without Teddy. Um, but, yeah, we, t- we talk a lot about picking pods and stuff like that. But in the end, it's, it all just comes down to timing of the trades. Like the spy says, um, I, I owned all those gun fullbacks as well, but just not at the right times. Um, yeah, you can you can still rank really high without picking any major pods as long as you do everything else perfectly timing-wise. Mm-hmm. And Tim's team was the perfect example of that. He had no massive pods other than Cody in the last couple of weeks. He displayed a consistent season um, without not trying to do anything too tricky. 
But yeah, I, I finally got Teddy in around round ten, and it, and it was that, that, about that time when he started going quiet for um, about a month or so without any huge scores. And that's why I put so much emphasis on like the timing aspect of your trades in this game rather than the actual trades themselves. Yep. You can almost like think of it like a stock market in a sense where you need your blue chip shares like um, Tedesco and Haas to keep your portfolio, portfolio steady. Um, but then you need to buy shares that um, vary a little from the other people just to get ahead. Spot on. But, Spot but, the, on. but the difference is price doesn't go um, change based on like speculation like it does in the stock market. It's based on player performance. So, um, yeah, even the best sort of statistical and strategic minds struggle to overcome 140,000 other people. Um, But, yeah, all in all, all, the new rules just made the game much friendlier to high-ceiling type players. That was my big takeaway. Very Um, fun to watch, that's for sure. Yeah, if you got your fullbacks and your captains nailed week to week, you could just fill out the rest of your team with like a template sort of safety players and you'd do well. Yeah, it's a it's a great point you make. I remember after the first two rounds, I think uh, Payne House may have played 80 minutes in both games, getting through enormous numbers and you just thought, all right, you know, it's nearly going to be Payne House skipper just about every single week because he's so safe. Boom, uh, COVID hit, the postponed season happened for two or so months. They came back and then from there, the game just changed. They brought in these new rules, the six again rule. It sped up the ruck. Uh, and it just led to more more and more and more points, uh, particularly that six again rule because teams were just getting absolutely gassed and run over the top of. Um, you know, in yesteryear, you were able to slow down the ruck and lie all over it and slow the game down and give your boys a breather. You couldn't do that this year. It was just try after try. Um, so, you know, that, that, that the new rules and that completely changed captaincy choices in the game. Uh, and it led to the fact that you had to nail these big captains when blokes did get their 150 to 200 points and whatnot. So, um, and, and I couldn't agree more in the – if it was, it was a year where if you had a slow start, it was so hard to make up ground. And I'm just uh, doubling up on what the spy said basically, but with no origin and no buy planning, it essentially became a head-to-head competition. Um, you know, we normally refer to head-to-head players and overall players – Basically, it was get your best 17 as quick as you can, and then from there you can throw in a few pods and, and diff your team from others. But, you know, the way I look at look at it, it was essentially a head-to-head. So it's, you know, and, and if – I'm not sure whether it will happen or not or what the talk is, but if Origin does become a postseason thing from now on, I'm sceptical that it will because of internationals and dragging the year on. Um, but, you know, it'll, it'll be a similar sort of thing next year, so we'll have to learn from this year, but we'll wait and see. Um, Spy – what were your standout trades for the year, mate? <clears throat> I've got more bad ones than good ones. <laughs> um, to be honest, I had a look through before. Most trades I made made sense at the time, but none of them really came off. Um, in, when I say that it came off, I didn't. they weren't bad in the sense that they went poorly, but none of my pods or anyone that I brought in really exploded as such. Um, Probably my favourite three trades, and this shows how dull a season it was, was Madison in round three. I got him in earlier than a lot of people did and sort of rode his early wave where, gee, he was good. He was so good this year. He plateaued a little bit in the final weeks, but if you look back to that early to mid-season, he was outstanding, and it was really nice to own him for sort of five or six weeks before everyone had him. Clamour in round 10 was a really good one. Um, again, he plateaued a little bit the last three rounds, but from round sort of 10 to 17, Clamour was outstanding for me. Mansour round 14, I really enjoyed getting him in. He scored, I think we might have both bought him in a similar week, Tim, but he yeah, only that, that's scored. that's the one. I, I had that written down as well as mine. I've just got the numbers here. I brought him round 14, uh, and a lot of people didn't. I think I, I chose him over Stephen Crichton, which, you know, Crichton was on a tear at the time, and yep. he went on to average, you know, towards 80-odd after that. So Mansour, getting the timing of Mansour after his slightly lean run, that was a big one. Yeah, bloody oath. And we, we had a chat about it, and this is where if you can sort of back your knowledge a little bit, it comes in. We thought that eventually teams had to start jamming more on Stephen Crichton because he was getting so many tries through that centre corridor, and it's exactly what happened, but even more so than we thought. Mansour scored nearly every game for the first seven, last seven weeks and certainly one of the more enjoyable aspects of the season, which was nice. And my little shout-out trade was Nico Hines in round 18. He... Um, he scored a 93 for me, and then even in the last weekend there on Sunday, I only had about 15 players by the end of end of things, and um, he came out and scored 51 points in 18 minutes off the bench. So that was a nice, fun little finish uh, to the season. Yeah. So shout out to Nico there. 
on your Nico. Um, Desi, which one stood out for you, mate? Yeah, I had, I had a long, hard think about this one, but actually I went back to the first round or two, but I think probably my best trade was bringing in Isaiah Yo straight away. Um, I know a lot of people made this trade, but it was just so critical in the end to get him in. Um, and it was one of the trades I was absolutely certain on for some reason, which I think made a lot of people, other people jump on it um, as well. So I guess I'll try and take a bit of credit for that one. But um, you, were spot, you were spot on, mate. I remember the time you said just get him in and we're all like, well, it's probably a good play, but there are some some issues around minutes and all the rest. And you just said, no, nah, get him in, and you were spot on the money. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll give you that one, Desi. I, I didn't back him. I thought um, I thought he'd just be the, the plotter that he'd been for most of his super coach career. Um, good footballer, but the big thing was the move to the middle, wasn't it? And yeah, we all questioned his minutes except you. Um, you said even if he didn't get the 80, he'd still score well. And, mate, he was he was massive, wasn't he? Yeah, he was just looking fast on his feet, um, looking like breaking the line. And, and same same went for Alex Twile as well. Um, he he was a really good trade-in until what happened to him. And I guess shout-outs go to AJ Brimson and Cam McGuinness as well because I, I got on those guys before most people as well. So they were yeah, probably McKinnis, straight in. Yeah, for sure. I was hoping you were going to give your, your boy AJ a wrap there because you, yeah. you did call him. There was another one that I, I sort of said you made. I think he's got to regress at some point, but hold, far out. How good is yeah. he? He ended with like a 75 average or something like yeah. that, which is elite. I mean, if, if he'd started the season, I was definitely going to start with him. Who knows what could happen? You and I were both starting with him round one until he did his back, so that, that hurts to mm. think about. <laughs> yeah, very unfortunate. Yeah, uh, I had my big one was obviously getting Teddy in in round four just before that 199-point game. Nobody wanted to fork out the cash, so I, I, I pulled the trigger on him and got him in and got that 199, which, you know, as, as Skipper was a 400-point play, so that went a long way. Um, and then outside of Mansour, I think my biggest – they weren't trades as such, but they were they were holds. Um, and I held on to Kurt Mann all year, um, which was just – he was the gift that kept on – giving Kurt Mann this year. Finished with a, I think maybe a 63 or 5 average or something. Hardly had a bad game. Um, the other one I held was Jerome Luai, who there were times where I wanted to trade him out, but there were other injuries and other things to worry about. But Luai was ridiculous. Uh, and then while it probably burnt me in the end, I also held on to Pat Carrigan till about round 17, I think it was. So um, Pat Carrigan was a, another guy that I wanted to trade at times and thought, no, nah, I've got more pressing issues. And Carrigan just kept getting minutes and kept churning out scores. So, yeah, that, that were probably the big ones for me. Um, Spy, your worst trades, mate. Um, keeping in mind, we've got a time limit, so just keep it short. <laughs> to be honest, they weren't that bad. I'll have a look, though. I can nail this in two. Lomax out round one. I watched him play fullback against the Tigers. He was woeful. Yeah. He ran it about three times, and I traded him for someone that I knew was going to make some money. Gone. That cost me horrendously because centers is always tough. So that was bad. Hard to look back at. And the other one, you know what? I also traded him to Jermaine Asako, who was playing some good footy and then got oh. dropped. <laughs> <laughs> so that that hurt. That hurt a lot. Um, and the other one was Kurt Mann, round three. I traded him out. He started well, but I thought he was, thought he was going to be the bloke that averaged 50. And there was a guy I had to get to. Maybe it was Isaiah Yo, and I thought, I'll move him on now. It'll cost me a little bit of cash, but it'll get me ahead of the game. And obviously, K-Man delivered all season long. So those were the big two. Um, with special mention to Mike Acevo, who in the end scored a couple at Bank West for me, but he was pretty bloody underwhelming. And I'll tell you, I won't be owning him again unless something changes in his game. Um, in saying that, Dylan Brown being out did hurt him a fair bit. I've got a stat for you, boys. I had a look through, and I'd like, if you get bored, have a look at this for your own teams. I had 14 trades made this year directly from injuries, so forced trades due to injury. That's seven rounds worth. <laughs> so that shows how hard this year of Supercoach was, and that also <clears throat> that also cost me my favourite pot of the year, which was Angus Crichton mid-season. Brought him in for a 90-odd base um, in like round 12, whatever it was, I can't remember, and then he got hurt about 50 minutes into the next week and I had to get rid of him. And I was just shaking my head at the time, going, give me a break, Supercoach gods. But um, that's the season that was, boys. It's all good. 2021, yeah, bring the, it on. The Supercoach gods loved you or hated you this year. It was, it was one or the other I'd seen for a lot of people. Um, Desi, your worst trades, mate? Yeah. I mean, I, I, 
I'd almost follow um, the spy with Jermaine Azaka. I forgot how shit he was. <laughs> it was absolutely shocking. Oh, him and oh, Essan, if anyone got Oh, dear. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, probably bringing in RTS over Ponga. There was just no real reason for it other than the fact that I wanted to own RTS for the first time ever and was just enjoying watching the Warriors play for once. Nothing was yeah. stopping you getting RTS, Desi. <laughs> you, were, yeah. you were sold. Even I though I was pleading you, Des, at the time. I was like, mate, don't do it. Do not <laughs> trade him. But no, at this no, point, I just didn't care about the rank there. I was just like, yeah. I just want to enjoy it. But, yeah, it probably cost me 500-odd points. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, my ones were oh, – for a lot of the season until probably the last four, five or six weeks, I was like – you know, I got out of the Lomax situation okay because I traded him round seven for 413K. So I was kind of like, all right, I missed his run of form, but at least I got some value out of him. Whereas I know a lot of people traded him in them, those first couple of rounds, like the spy. Um, but Lomax just came back to burn me big time. And just watching him those last two months was just brutal to do. He's such a serious footballer. They just kick to him. They just put it up those crossfield bombs, even like midfield bombs to him. And Lomax just screams through. His leap is unbelievable. He, he reminds me a lot. Uh, I'll get your thoughts, but of, of a of a young Jackie White, who started obviously in the outside backs, played a lot of center before moving to fullback and then five eight. And just as a young bloke, has the best leap in the game. Always um, competes for the ball really, really well. Hard to tackle. Good defender, like oh, gee, I think there's a lot too. of Jack White about him. Yeah, uh, but a far better super coach player for that matter. Yeah. Um, so there was Lomax, and then my other big one, which was again just through injury, not through I think probably poor trading as such, but just the front row debacle I had in the back end of the, the year. I said that I held Carrigan all year, and I had him and Haas just churning out these numbers, and it was just such safe scoring when a lot traded out Carrigan. <clears throat> I antipotted him in round 17 for Josh Papali, who got injured about 30 minutes into that next game. A week later, because of the injury concern, I traded him to Adam Fanua Blake, who got injured a minute into his second stint of the game. So he played about 30 minutes, and then I had to trade him. I traded him to Alex Tawol, and then five minutes after I traded Tawol in, the Tigers announced that he was out for that game ill, and I had to take Tom Ayle as an AE. And then, uh, twelve. My, I think when before I got Payne Hass back in, I traded Hass out because I needed numbers for Dan Saifidi, which worked out week one, but scored about twenty for me in the week that I needed him in the final week. So that the front row. But and the big thing about that is not only did I not have Carrigan as he was churning out solid scores, it was that I had to burn all these trades and couldn't worry about the rest of my team. So that the front row just crawled me in the end. But the front anyway, row curse. Yeah, the highs you. and lows of Supercoach. Um, Spy, any defining moment or moments of the season for you? Uh, not for you personally, but what do you think they were in general? Oh, to be honest, we've we've spoken about it already. This is for both Teddy. myself and generally it's Teddy. If you didn't get him in yeah. for that 199 and captain him, you were almost cooked. Like that's basically it. If you didn't captain him that week, um, you probably couldn't win Supercoach. It would be interesting to see who the bloke won it who he had that week, but I'd almost guarantee captained him or at the very least owned him. But I think that was it. That was a huge turning point. Yeah. Desi, did you have anything else there? No, no, that was definitely the same as my defining moment. And to add to that, um, for Supercoach lessons learnt, it's don't go without Tedesco ever again. It's a a very simple lesson when you go from first one year to 20,000th the next. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Desi, well, like just let, let me ask you then. Let's skip ahead to podcast number one of next year. Tedesco is going to be worth whatever the equivalent yeah. to a 96 average is. Are you starting with him when he's worth – he'll probably be 900K plus. Are you just locking him in because Jude will hurt the rest of your team? Yeah. You're just doing it? No, you lock him in. Yeah. There's <laughs> just no point. It's, yeah, lock in Tedesco, lock in Haas. Everyone else is interchangeable. Okay, I can't wait discussion. to clip this up next year for the first episode and just <laughs> Desi, when Desi's saying, no, nah, you can't afford him, he's not doing it. You need to <laughs> it'll, it'll happen. It'll happen. <laughs> Quote me. Um, hey, I'll give you a, a, a left field one for a defining moment of the season. Um, and oh, Teddy was the obvious one, but I reckon anyone who held on to Jerome Luai uh, was massive as well because – 
you know, you'd play him in early on in the year and he, he averaged his sort of mid early to mid-50s and was pretty solid. And then, all right, yeah, you had to upgrade to your SJs or your Clearies or your Munsters or whoever. So a lot sold. Um, I was lucky enough to hold on to him again, probably more pressing things to do as a aside uh, as opposed to actually thinking he was going to finish how he did. But in the last – he had finished with a five-round average of 87 and a three-round average of 97 – which coincided with head-to-head finals, um, all these injuries and restings to Sean Johnson, to Cam Munster, to all these key guys. So he was interchangeable in the, at five eight and half back. Um, he went tunned up in the final week of the year for head-to-head grand finals. What do you reckon, lads? I reckon Luai was a massive uh, defining moment of the season, holding or selling him. Definitely, just purely because of when he did his scores. He was solid throughout the middle part of the year, but all his big ones came when you needed it in head-to-head finals or the overall chase, so absolutely. What's yeah. incredible, though, is that the winner didn't even have him. He there got away go. with not having Luai. Yeah, there you go. Um, um, there's an interesting one next year as well, again, flashing forward. Could it be a Jerome Luai-Cleary harvest pairing in your Supercoach side to start next year? That could be interesting. Yeah, it, it'll be an interesting conversation to have because, you know, Luai ended up averaging what um, he finished with an average of – Cleary was 83 and Luai was 62. So two halves from the same team, I suppose you can do it, but, you know, they're going to be pretty expensive, particularly Cleary. And while we're on that, Desi, it was a tough year for you. You did say at the start of the year, what was your shout-out for Cleary? Was it 80 – he'd average 80 or, or 85? I thought he'd average 15 higher than last season. So I think his average was around 70 last season. I'm, yeah. I'm not entirely sure, but yeah, close, I, I thought he'd average around 85. And if he'd, if he'd cranked out at 80 or 85 this week, it would have been spot on. There you go. He was 68 last season, finished with 83 this season. So I'll give it to you. you Bang. We, we, we laughed at you and said, that's mad. You said, no, nah, he's going to average 15 more than last yeah. season. We pay those. <laughs> I didn't laugh at you, Desi. I'll back you in. Go find the audio. <laughs> What if I backed Pavanelson for something stupid though, something like 80. Speaking of Pappy, obviously I was all about him to start the year, um, understandably. When I owned him, I think he averaged about 55. Since I dropped Max. him, he must have averaged nearly 80 since that point in about yeah. round seven. That's another blow. Yeah, he does have the potential. <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, he averaged 71 across the whole year, so yeah. that's pretty good from Paps. That's it. Timing again, Desi. I got rid of him at the wrong time, even though it made sense. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's all about timing. Uh, Spy, any lessons you learned from Supercoach this year? You've probably spoken a few about most of them already, but anything to add? Nothing major. I'll sort of i have a think about this heading into round one next year, but I'll probably have a think about starting with a little bit more rock-solid team. That will then allow me to make my decisions on who to bring in when I think someone's about to explode. Because what I found, every time there was an injury this year, I both had to cover an injury and make up for a couple of pods that I started with that didn't go off. So you're sort of chasing there rather than locking a good solid line up in and then backing my ability to project who's going to score well in the coming weeks. So maybe something like that. But to be honest, it was just one of those years. I don't think there's a whole lot I could have done to get around it, um, it, it just didn't unfold for me, similar to Desi, and sometimes you just need things to go your way. But, yeah, maybe just starting with probably one or two less pods, but, you know, that also potentially wins your title. So just a bit to think about there. Yeah. Desi, any for you, or was it just always own Teddy? <laughs> it's pretty much just, just own Teddy. Yeah. My, my um, big take, I, I had a couple – um, one of them, probably the main one was uh, just it's sort of touching on what the spy said, but just don't underestimate depth in a squad and don't look into VC loophole too much, which I, I never did. And, I mean, I know uh, it was probably more the context of the year, but, um, you know, Des, you spoke about your nothing up strategy mid-year, which was a completely viable tactic at the time that didn't pay off. I know that Walsh likes to run with – uh, a, a less depth in his squad to get a stronger 17, but also allowing him more of an opportunity to have a VC loophole. But we saw those things backfire so much this year because of all the injuries, um, a lot of you know the restings in the back end of the year. So I've sort of always tried to have a bit extra depth in my squad, which was the very much the main reason I finished up where I did. Um, but I, I just think... The other thing, aside from the cash generation of having a wider squad and, and having a, a bigger squad value, 
just the ability to sort of pick and choose between a good few players on your bench and your centre wings and your sit and start to each, start to each week. Um, I, I think that came in really important in the back end of the year. So, um, Spy, what do you reckon about that, mate? I definitely agree, and it worked out beautifully this year. But what I would say is there's two big factors why the nothing up strategy didn't work as well. One is the timing of origin. Um, given there was no mid-year origin, blokes weren't getting a rest. So come the last two weeks, coaches were just going, we need to get some rest into my guys before the finals that they haven't previously had. Uh, the other one is there's no reserve grade this year due to COVID. So all those blokes you saw playing on the weekend needed to get some football in them just in case they'll need an in finals. So as soon as reserve grade comes back, you'll still have the ability to get guys football um, and the timing of origin is going to be important too. But obviously we can have a good chat about that start of next year because we'll know what the, the schedule will be. Yeah. No, it's a fair shout, mate. Um, Timmy, guys, uh, ex- explain yeah. to me this, though. Yeah. Joe A1, team value, $11.95 million. Kuma Stallions, $13.3 million. He's He's got $1.4 million less in the cap. And he's Des, still... Des, it's like I've got a massive gash on my arm and you just got a salt grinder and you're just dropping it into it. <laughs> I've got to ask the tough question vinegar. though. You're going on about cap and how uh, how the depth helped. How has this guy got 1.4 less? Mate, I don't know. I'll back it up though and say that <laughs> even though he had less, he did have players to choose from this week, whereas a lot of the top 10 didn't. So that still relates to depth. But um, it's a good question. The hard questions from Desi. Yeah. I don't like hard questions. I like running the show, so I ask the question. <laughs> Keep it that way. <laughs> um, guys, I had a chat with Brad, Brad Oaten this week about draft keeper leagues. Um, seriously interesting stuff. He'll get into detail about what a draft keeper league is. Um, I think it'll blow your minds because I had no idea about what it is. So here's the chat with Brett. It's a pleasure to welcome to the SC Playbook podcast for the first time our major sponsor, Brett Oaten. Brett, firstly, thanks very much for jumping on board this year. The support's been unbelievable. Mate, how are you going, and how did your Supercoach season end up? Uh, well, thanks for inviting me on, Tim, and it's been a pleasure to be involved. Uh, I was really happy to get involved because I really enjoyed the podcast this year, and I really felt like I learned a lot from listening to it. Uh, sadly, that extra knowledge is not reflected in my Supercoach uh, position, <laughs> but uh, it, was a, it was a fun ride nonetheless. We well, can't work miracles for you, mate. No, I know, and uh, get, getting me uh, a good good spot in the classic would indeed be a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> now, Brett, mate, we've got you on today to talk about something very interesting that I had no idea about. Um, I think the first time you contacted me, we had a bit of a bit of a chat about things all things Supercoach, and you mentioned to me uh, NRL Supercoach Draft Keeper League, which I, for all my years of experience playing and, and being working and involved in NRL Supercoach, I'd never heard of it, so... Basically, uh, for people who there are a few people out there who aren't familiar with NRL Supercoach Draft as such as well. So, in brief, Supercoach Draft is where you're in your leagues with all your mates or whoever else, and you can only have unique players. So only one person can own James Tedesco, one can own Caelan Ponga. Um, it can't double up in teams. Um, but Brett, what your league is that you told me about, or sorry, your version of the game is, which is run by News Corp and Supercoach. It's a draft keeper league, mate. Tell us a bit, a bit more about that and what it involves. Right. So you're right about the draft, and and we have a. It's basically the same group of friends. We have a classic league, but we also play a draft. And as you would know, in the classic league, as you get towards the end of the year, often a lot of the teams are similar, and so you're playing in a semi-final. It might be, you know, in reality, five against five or six against six, whereas. When you play the draft, you write, you do a draft at the start of the year and uh, you decide your draft order however you decide it um, and each person gets a pick in turn and, and so every team is completely unique. So uh, the draft is kind of where the classic's all about having your guns and your rookies that, you know, that you can... The draft, you've got to try and find value in those mid-level players. Um, but you're right, ever since the start of the draft, when you set up your draft, you can choose to make it uh, a one-year-only draft league or you can choose to make it a keeper league. And um, we've always done a keeper league. And, and what that means is that when you draft a player, you can uh, hold on to them forever. 
So it kind of makes it harder because if you are playing in a league where you know you're going to redraft again uh, next year and someone gets a season-ending injury, you just release them. But um, if you're playing in a keeper league and someone gets a season-ending injury but they're a gun, you've really got to think about whether you want to hold on to them for next year and for the long term and so you've got to nurse them through or whether you are going to cut them loose and maybe someone else is prepared to do that. So there's a, there's a, a lot of different dynamics around uh, how you pick your team and, and who you hold on to and how you manage it throughout the year because you're not just trying to win it this year, you're also trying to you know, build long-term success. Of course, it's yeah. all pretend, so maybe I'm taking it away too seriously, <laughs> but uh, it's a lot of fun. You're not taking it too seriously, mate. You're telling that to the wrong bloke. But, Indeed, yeah. Um, it's, it's very interesting. So, so this, the team or the squad you finish the season with, the 2020 season that you've just finished with, is your squad for round one next year. Obviously, you can chop and change them um, when the season starts with free agents and that sort of stuff. Well, that's right. But what happens is, so, so in, in draft, you can only have 17 players. So you play 13 and you have four, four non-playing reserves every week. So when we head into 2021, there will be a draft and people can choose how many guys that, or how many players they want to let go. Oh, so if you finish at the bottom, you could basically release your entire team, um, or, you can um, just release one player or you can hold on to everyone and not participate in the draft. So if you're drafting every year, you know, draft night is, uh, you know, pretty good fun and everyone drafts 17 players. But when we turn up to draft night, um, you know, some guys will be drafting 10 and some guys will be drafting one. Yeah, it's it's a crazy concept. Like, I, I love it and I'll be having a crack at it next year for sure. But, I mean, there'd be so many super coaches out there who have never heard of it. I mean, I've obviously been one of them. Um, and it's just all long-term thinking, isn't it? So, you know, Jason Townlow or James Tedesco go down in, in round eight of a 25-round season. You sort of sit there and go, well, geez, and they're gone for the season. Do I hold on to him and, and you know, put myself really on the back this year or plan towards next year? It's, it's funny, isn't it? Well, indeed, and it, it, it makes it a lot harder, which I really like, and uh, it, also it's pretty great that one of my idiot mates has been holding on to Jack DeBellin for two years. Um, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, and you've got to make... So when we get to the finals this year, I've had Latrell ever since he debuted, and uh, I had a lot of injuries leading into the finals, and so he he's out for the year, and I'm struggling to hold the team, and then mm. I, as much as I love him... Uh, let him go because I'm banking on the fact that he's not going to be a centre next year. He'll only be a fullback and I've already got a better fullback. So I let him go just to kind of get my numbers up. Yeah. And I guess we'll find out in January whether that was, you know, smart or not smart. Yeah. No, it's Based very, very, performance, yeah. probably not smart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you did make the grand final this year. You were knocked off. You were, you were like me and you had Katoni Stag, you mentioned. So that one, that one didn't help too much. Yeah, it was, uh, I, was, I, I used all my luck to get to the grand final, and then I copped a 300-point drubbing in the grand final. Um, Katoni Staggs went down. The Hammer had a couple of tries disallowed. Luke Keery had a try disallowed. And, and uh, four of my players were rested by Supercoach Bellamy and Supercoach Cleary, so oh. that didn't, uh, didn't help me. But I, I take nothing away from James Payton, the winner, who, uh, you know... My, my uh, video analysis leading up to the game, I did not predict uh, Tom Starling to get 150 or whatever he got, uh, Tim. So that was yeah. uh, a dagger in my heart. Mate, masterstroke from little, little uh, Tommy Starling. What a play. Indeed. Did you, yeah. did, you, uh, did you tell your brother that when I, told, when I asked you that I had no halfback for the grand final and should I get Connor Tracy, Mason Leno or your brother, <laughs> you did not tell me to get your brother? Mate, I've, I've I've never recommended him as a buy-in supercoach in his life. I'm not going to start now. <laughs> it would have been a better move for me, but it still wouldn't have uh, wouldn't have bridged the 300 point gap. I'm afraid. Yeah, well, there you go. So, mate, it was all right in the end. Anyway. It didn't cost you. <laughs> yeah, the other uh, thing, of course, is in draft you can either have a 10 team league or a 16 team league. And if you have a 10 team league, there's a lot of really good free agents all the time. Yeah, Whereas if you've point. got um, a 16 team league and everyone's got 17. 
it's pretty slim pickings in the free agent pool. So, again, it's even harder if you do a 16-team keeper league. Yeah, that's it, mate. So, yeah, something to think about going forward for, for people that are keen on giving it a crack next year because I'm sure there will be uh, there'll be plenty who are to do it. As I said, I'll be jumping on board. And, yeah, just, just a new version of um, NRL Supercoach because I'm sure people, people are pretty excited about and, and you get to do a five-year plan, and who who doesn't yeah. want to do that? <laughs> bring out bring out your inner Gus Gould. <laughs> Indeed, yes. Oh, that's awesome, mate. Thanks for jumping on the show, mate. Pretty stellar debut from you, mate, especially to after the come down of a grand final loss. So thanks for jumping on. Well, thanks for inviting me, and uh, thanks for involving me this year. It's been a lot of fun. No worries, mate. Cheers, Brett. Bye. Good stuff there to Brett, and uh, thanks once again for jumping on board this year, mate. Um, lads, Let's get into a few awards for the year. Desi, you and Walsh had a bit of a write-up last week in the final word, the Supercoach Awards. But let's have a quick run through the ones that we found. Myself and the Spy had them, and a lot of people wouldn't have read that article. Um, so fire us off, uh, Spy, your cheapy of the year. Cheapy of the year came down to Jerome Luai versus Kurt Mann. I think they were both in that cheapy range. Um, I gave it to Jerome due to his performance in the finals. Yeah, righto. Um, Jerome, right. who'd you have, Desi? I had Zach Lomax. I know a lot of people thought yeah. it's probably a, he's probably a mid-ranger. You could put him cheapy or mid-ranger. But, yeah, he came top 10 in total points scored, so I'd say he, he has to be it. Have you guys um, forgotten about a bloke named Harry Grant who started the year at 184K and averaged, what have we got, 72 points? Yeah, he's my rookie Anyone? of the year. I yeah, I mean, both. he's my rookie of the year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One award only. interchangeable there, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, no, no, good shouts. Um, moving on to the – who's your mid-ranger of the year, Spy? I had Lomax versus Appy versus Isaiah Yo, and I didn't actually make a decision, so I'll do that now. Let's go with – Isaiah Yo, he was just rock solid. He was 405k, and he was in the toughest position, knocking out points. So Isaiah Yo for the uh, mid ranger title, 2020. Yeah, that's a good shout. Um, Des, who'd you have there? Yeah, very good shout there, Spy. I had uh, the big dog Pat Carrigan. I mean, he's yeah. just he's so versatile with the dual front row and second row, and just constantly cranking out 70s. It's, that's it's fair. So good, such good value for his price. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, it's um, it's it's hard to argue with either of those. I think the mid ranger could have gone to a number of people without arguing too much. I had Kurt Mann, probably a little bit of bias there uh, because he did so good for me. But the same logic as you, Spy, just doing it in the position of centre where to lock in those to bank those points every week without doubt was just so so good. Average sixty five, so I was a touch less than Yo in the end. Um, but I think probably the thing for me was that Man had a lot less ownership than Yo. Um, so he was, Value. you know, he was a pod for a lot of the year, particularly the back end of the year. So <clears> as a mid ranger, the K Man, um, I'll be forever in debt to that great fella. That's fair. Just quietly, um, lads. How about the captain Desi? of the year, lads? Who I suppose? Yeah. I was just going to say, boys. How about Desi just deciding yeah, that Lomax is a cheapie just because he wanted to give him an award? <laughs> he was three hundred and forty, wasn't he? Right. Oh. Yeah, Des, you're not the defending mean, champ anymore, mate. You can't make your own rules. <laughs> what defines a cheapie? It doesn't have to be basement price, does he? Not, I reckon not, a cheapie is anything under 320. Okay. We'll, we'll, oh, it's 320, <laughs> I'll, mate. I'll let you off the hook. <laughs> yeah. Let the, After, let the viewers make a decision. What defines yeah. a cheapie? What price? Let us know, yeah. guys. Um, lads, your captain of the year, which I suppose is best and fairest. By who have you got? Yeah, comfortably James Tedesco, the MVP, closely followed by Cam Smith, who again was just amazing. What a gun. Des, who'd you have for us? I actually had Nathan Cleary. I mean, it's obviously Teddy, but yeah. Cleary consistency wise, I think he actually scored more more scores over seventy four or between that 75 to 100 range than Teddy did. So he yeah, was actually yeah. more consistent, but Teddy just had those huge 190-odd scores to bolster his average. Yeah, like that or something a little bit different, mate. Um, I obviously had Teddy as well, but a good good shout on Cam Smith's by Finished it the year with a 79-point average, um, and there was that little period there mid-year. Uh, I've got the numbers up here. It might have been around about 
round eight and nine, I think it was, where he played a few games at halfback. Yeah. Um, so his actual average at hooker, you know, was closer to about 85-90, which is just ridiculous. So um, at his age, to year after year after year, we say people try and start without Cam Smith, but far out, he just keeps getting it done. Um, oh, this would be a good one. Spy, who's your flop of the year? Only because he burnt me two or three times, but Tommy Turbo, it wasn't really his fault because he kept getting hurt, but he's my flop of 2020. What a letdown. Oh, cop that, Tommy T. Desi. <laughs> I still love you, Tommy. Yeah, I mean, I'll start with you next year. I'd argue with that one, but I've gone, I've gone, I've gone RTS. I mean, I didn't think he'd average under 60 um, after what he did in 2019, but here we are. The man's averaged 59. Um, yeah. and, and the Warriors have played probably better football, you'd have to say, this year. And he's yep, yep. average less. Isn't it funny how it pans out like that? What The Warriors played their best footy in a fair while, in a few years now. Uh, I mean, they didn't make the eight, but they, you know, they played some very, very solid footy this year, despite the circumstances. RTS ran for the most meters in the NRL again, Des, but he still, it doesn't always translate to Supercoach, does it? No, it's just they, they relied on him entirely last year, but now they've got um, Cody Nicarima and young Eli Katoa stepping up and getting those yeah. attacking stats that he doesn't need to just get all by himself. That's it. Nicarima's and Harris Tavides and Greensbury there, they were just playing short to their back rowers who were on a tear, um, and there was just far less going out the back to RTS because they didn't have the reliance on it, and it's good to see for the Warriors. Um Oh, I had a, a bit of a toss-up for two in very sort of different avenues. One of them's Jai Arrow, who averaged 54, which, you know, is by no means terrible at all, but just such high expectations for Jai Arrow every single year in Supercoach. But the poor bugger just can't keep, keep himself completely fit. He, he looked to be playing sort of half-busted all year again. Um, I never actually owned him, so I didn't get burnt by him. But Arrow, but probably the big one for me, Anthony Milford averaging 34 points this year. Um, you know, the Broncos started the year two from two. Mill started the year with scores of 54 and 71, looked promising enough. Uh, and then by the end of the year, he was dropped from the team. Then he was injured. Um, got his numbers up here. His last five, six scores were under 35 points or something. He had, a, what, three, four scores under 20 points. Lads, Milf could not do a thing, could he? Yeah, that's rough. That's pretty <sighs> ordinary. I started with him as well. Don't remind oh. me. I thought he'd be a huge pod because the Broncos were they were coming into the season with a bit, bit of momentum. Little did we he, know they'd yeah. bloody get the spoon. First he went, two weeks he, he went fifty four seventy. Yeah, he went fifty four and seventy one to start the year, and then then there was obviously the COVID break. The way the Broncos played to start the year, people would have been excited. People would have brought the milf in. He then went sixteen fourteen sixty nine nineteen. Oh, <laughs> wow! All buggers. Um. And it wouldn't shock me if a few of these over we overlap here, but Spy, who's your surprise packet of the year? Pretty good question, this one. I had Lomax Mann and Isaiah Yo all around the mark. They were certainly surprise packets, but I think there's a standout performer here, unless I've missed someone, David Nofaluma. Just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Des? I actually went the other way on the surprise packet. I, I went Cam Smith because I, I really just thought he'd regress. Um from what he what he did last year and sort of hand over the attacking reins a bit more um, to the likes of Munster, Puppy and Hughes. But, yeah, because he was getting run over by guys like Ockenbohr and stuff late, oh, mid-2019. He just he looked like he was losing his tackling ability and his speed a bit. But, yeah, came out an average bloody 80, 80 again this season. I was, yeah, nice. I was pretty surprised by it, to be honest. That's fair. Yeah. Yep. Um, good call. Uh, I went Nofaluma as well. I just another one I completely got wrong. And and a shout out to Walsh, who who'd be listening in there. He he called Nofa and started with Nofa from round one. And one of the things I got particularly wrong all year, not all year, but to start the year, was just saying I cannot pay over six hundred k for an outside back, particularly a winger. Um, Nof started at over six hundred and four k and just went ridiculous. You know, ended the year with an average of what was he seventy six points. To do that as a winger in a team outside the top eight, it's just I still don't know how he did it. He had, what, one, two, three, four scores over 100, a couple of big tons as well. Um, you talk about turning points in the year. A lot of people couldn't stomach buying him at that price, which he never really 
he never got below $589,000. Sorry, the oh final God. week of the year. He ended up 563, but even around 19, he was 644. So people just couldn't stomach bringing him in. I bit the bullet about round 10 or 12 or something and said, all right, this is a joke. You have to have him. Um, Nofaluma, I, I would be surprised if we saw stats from a winger like that again, or I'll, I'll say from outside the top eight. Unbelievable. Yeah, incredible. Um, that's all for the awards. Uh and we'll wrap it up there for the 2020 NRL Supercoach season. Uh, a massive thank you for to all our subscribers, all our readers, all our listeners of the podcast. Um, it's been an absolute blast putting this all together this season. Um, it's been really, really fun for me, really enjoyable. Uh, and a major reason I did it and was so keen to launch into it was because um, my time working in Supercoach in the past, the Supercoach community absolutely rock. And I don't say that lightly. They're so positive, you know. I worked in uh, in NRL as well, um, and the community there can be a, a lot tougher and a lot harder and unreasonable, but the Supercoach community get around each other. All the pages um, that gave me shout-outs and help to start the year and throughout the year, just so supportive. So thank you very much to everyone who was able to help out through the year. We will be back in early to mid-November to do the exact same thing again with the Big Bash Supercoach coverage. There'll be a new podcast. There'll be stacks of fresh content. We've got some really, really good um, and good profile quality contributors coming on board, which I'll confirm uh, in the next month or so. Uh, But we won't be far away. If you're not into the Big Bash, uh, then we hope to see you all again at the start of the the NRL season come next year. We'll be hammering it out, going twice as hard as this year. Um, And just lastly, an enormous thanks to all the contributors uh, from Walsh, uh, there was obviously Desi, Despy, Steve Hevener, Nick Moon, uh, Adam DeRussi. I hope I'm getting everyone here. Jared Croker, Sam Williams. We had a bunch of us on board. I'll definitely have forgotten someone there, and I apologise. But um, you forgot but, yourself, mate. Timmy Williams. Yeah. <laughs> well done. Fantastic yeah. host all year, juggling, Thanks. being so highly ranked, and running the podcast. Well done, mate. Thanks, Desi, mate. You, you made my life pretty easy this year. <laughs> Oh, but no, nah, I really appreciate it, boys. So thank you for the year, Spy, mate. Any parting words? No, I just want to say thank you to everyone as well. I'm absolutely buzzing for 2021. And with COVID delaying the season, the, the off-season is going to be much shorter than normal, which is bloody good because we know how excited we'll be for footy come uh, the start of next season. Desi, you've had your rest year, mate. Back bigger and stronger next year? Yeah, for sure. Not going without Teddy. I'll come back strong. <laughs> Des and myself are coming right. in strong don't you worry yeah we'll see we'll see alright thanks for tuning in guys and thank you for the year